This is season one of the Constitutional Commons podcast. This season is called The Founders of the Constitution. Your host, Rob Nadelson, is a nationally known constitutional scholar and author whose research into the history and legal meaning of the Constitution has been cited repeatedly at the U.S. Supreme Court by both parties and by individual justices. In this podcast, you will learn about the lives of leading founders and their unique contributions to the Constitution. Hi, I'm Rob Nadelson, and the title of this essay is The Founders in the Constitution, Part 2, John Adams. Unlike the other founders profiled in this series, John Adams of Massachusetts didn't attend the 1787 Constitutional Convention. He was America's ambassador to England when the convention met, and he didn't return home until the ratification process was well underway. His contribution was in laying the groundwork for the Constitution, both when in Massachusetts and when abroad. Constitution drafting is a three-step process, although in practice the steps often overlap. The first step is to identify the goal of the prospective Constitution and the principles that will govern it. The second step is to determine the general outline of a government that achieves the goals, is consistent with the principles, and is acceptable to the citizenry. And the third step is to draft the document using the best wording possible. John Adams' writings assisted the framers at all three steps. Adams was born on October 19, 1735, in the Massachusetts town then called Braintree, but after 1792, Quincy. As a boy, he enjoyed the outdoor life and wanted to be a farmer. However, his academic success, first in grammar school and later at Harvard College, convinced him to become a lawyer. In his choice of a wife, he was both wise and fortunate. Abigail Smith Adams was devoted and loyal, and during John's long absences, she proved to be a competent manager of family affairs. She was also intellectually brilliant. Abigail and John raised four children. One of the four was John Quincy Adams, who served as Secretary of State, President of the United States, and after he was President in Congress as a legendary warrior against slavery. The elder John wasn't driven by a hunger for political office, but he was driven by an exacting moral code and the quest for fame. During the events leading up to the revolution, John Adams exploded upon the public scene. He pressed the colonial cause as a lawyer, writer, and member of the First Continental Congress of 1774. As a delegate to the Second Continental Congress and as a diplomat, he did as much as any man George Washington accepted to make independence a reality. Diplomatic tasks kept Adams in Europe throughout 1778 and early 1779. But when he returned home, he was immediately elected a delegate to the Massachusetts Constitutional Convention. And that conclave tabbed him as the new charter's primary drafter. And in heavily amended form, the Constitution that Adams drafted, is still in effect today. Later in 1779, Adams returned to Europe and remained there continuously 
until the spring of 1788. Abigail was with him for the last four years. Adam's chief contribution to step one in writing the U.S. Constitution, that is identifying goals and principles, was the first volume of his three-volume set of books. It was called A Defense of the Constitutions, meaning the state constitution, A Defense of the Constitutions of the United States, and it was published in early 1787. It circulated at the Constitutional Convention. Participants in the debates over the Constitution's ratification in the two and a half years after the convention mentioned it often. Adams was motivated to write the defense by criticism of American state constitutions from the prominent French economist and statesman on Robert Jacques Trudeau. In his book, Adams listed many of the thinkers profiled in my earlier series of essays called The Ideas That Formed the Constitution, which you can get on the Independence Institute website. Adams quoted, among others, Polybius, Cicero, James Harrington, John Locke, and Baron Montesquieu. In his Defense of the Constitutions of the United States, Adams emphasized four basic constitutional principles. First, just laws are enacted by the consent of the governed or by their chosen agents. Second, for a people to be free, the rule of law must prevail. Third, the best government mixes democratic, aristocratic, and monarchical features. And finally, the best mixed government consists of a bicameral legislature with one house of an aristocratic nature and one of a democratic nature, and also an independent chief executive and an independent judiciary. Sentiments expressed in the defense seem to put Adams in the high nationalist portion of the founding era political spectrum a spectrum I discussed in my previous essay. Adams obviously admired the British system with its hereditary monarch, hereditary House of Lords, and elected House of Commons, even if he didn't want to replicate it precisely in America. Of course, the American framers refused to adopt this high nationalist model. More importantly, however, after some vacillation, they did adopt all four of Adams' basic constitutional principles. In 1776, Adams wrote a short pamphlet entitled Thoughts on Government. The ideas in that pamphlet helped guide the framers during step two of constitution making, that is, developing a general outline of government. Adams' approach in Thoughts on Government was a good deal more populist and democratic than the British model he praised in his defense series of books. In Thoughts on Government, Adams proposed a bicameral legislature with the lower house elected by the people and the upper house elected by the lower house, all for fixed terms. Both chambers of the legislature voting together would elect a chief executive, also for a fixed term. Those of you who are constitutional wonks may recognize these as the basic features of the Virginia Plan which was the outline presented to the Constitutional Convention by the Virginia delegation and which served as a basis for discussion for several weeks thereafter. Adams' pamphlet, Thoughts on Government, also suggested 
that the duties of the upper house be structured so it could mediate between the executive and the lower house. The Constitution reflects this idea by granting the Senate certain executive powers in addition to the Senate's legislative powers. These include authority to advise and consent on presidential treaties and on executive branch nominations. Thoughts on government also foreshadow several other features in the final Constitution. These included the president's power to commission and therefore instruct officers, presidential appointment and senatorial approval of judges, and judicial lifetime service, that is, service during good behavior. John Adams was also the principal author of the Massachusetts Constitution of 1780. This document served the framers as a source of ideas for both steps two, the outlining, and step three, the drafting of constitution making. Adams divided the Massachusetts Constitution into part the first, a declaration of rights, and part the second, a frame of government. The former listed essential liberties. The latter created the state government structure. Part the second provided much of the inspiration and wording for the U.S. Constitution structure. Specifically, it provided for strong, independent, executive and judicial branches. This contradicted the decision in most states to grant the legislature supreme power. In the Massachusetts Constitution, the legislature consisted of two houses. They were called a Senate and a House of Representatives. Each house was the quote, final judge of the election returns and qualifications of their own members. Wording that follows the US, that the U.S. Constitution followed closely. In addition, the House of Representatives had power to impeach and the Senate power to try, but, quote, their judgment shall not extend further than to removal from office and disqualification to hold or enjoy any place of honor, trust, or profit, but the party so convicted shall be liable to punishment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to the laws of land. Again, very close to the wording of the U.S. Constitution. The governor was elected separately, had the power to pardon except in cases of impeachment, was commander-in-chief of the state military forces, and could veto bills. His veto was subject to a two-thirds override in both houses of the legislature. Again, the system adopted in the U.S. Constitution. And finally, the position of lieutenant governor was much like the vice president, except he didn't preside over the Senate. Some features from the Massachusetts Constitution's Part the First also appeared in the original Constitution of the United States. Freedom of legislative debates, protection from ex post facto laws, retroactive criminal laws, and trial by jury in criminal cases. Other aspects of Part the First entered the U.S. Constitution later by ratification of the Bill of Rights. Freedom of assembly and of the press, the right to keep and bear arms, protection of the home from the quartering of troops and from unreasonable searches and seizures, due process of law, and protection from excessive bail and fines and from cruel or unusual punishment. The Massachusetts Constitution also protected freedom of religion but less completely than the U.S. Constitution and its First Amendment. 
Both documents required office holders to take an oath or affirmation, which under 18th century law required belief in God. However, the Massachusetts Charter protected religious freedom only for Christians, although on a non-denominational basis. Moreover, towns could use tax money to promote religion, although not necessarily Christianity. In matters of faith, therefore, the Massachusetts document was midway between the formal state religious establishments Americans had known as British colonists on the one side and the non-preferential theism embodied in the U.S. Constitution on the other side. As most listeners probably know, in 1789, John Adams was elected President of the United States, serving two terms under the presidency of George Washington. In 1796, he was elected to the presidency himself, but in 1800, Thomas Jefferson defeated his bid for re-election. Adams generally is rated as good president, in part for his courageous resistance to war fever against France, and for his wise appointments, especially that of John Marshall, to be Chief Justice of the United States. After his presidency, Adams retired to his home in Massachusetts. For the rest of his life, he immersed himself in classical literature, and he maintained an extensive correspondence. In later years, his correspondence included Thomas Jefferson. Like some other founders, such as James Madison and John Dickinson, Adams paid careful attention to his health. Into his late 80s, he walked three miles each day. He died on July 4, 1726, the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, and the same day Jefferson passed. Adams was just three months short of his 91st birthday. I'm Rob Nadelson. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode from the series, The Founders of the Constitution. To make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to like this in your podcast app and subscribe to be notified every time a new episode is released. For more information about the U.S. Constitution and this series, head over to thinkfreedom.org. Thanks for listening.